Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's so good to have you guys with us here today. If today's your first time, I want to give you a special welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today or if you're just tuning in online, we appreciate you guys joining us as well. This is that the Gathering Church, you'll hear us talk about a lot of things that, that we love, but what you're going to hear us talk about the most is next steps. Because we're obsessed with taking our next steps, with doing the next thing that we can to move one step closer, one step further on towards who we believe we were meant to be. Some of those steps that you'll hear us talk about a lot, that the path that we want to lay out for you is that you might know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. When we talk about finding freedom, we really believe that the place where we are able to find freedom from all the baggage we've carried with us our entire lives, from the, from the things that are keeping us from moving forward, is in community. And so our life groups are in, unbelievably important to our mission here at the Gathering Church. And this week, we start summer life groups at the Gathering. Oh yes, you may clap for summer life groups. Yeah. We love summer life groups. They're so much fun. Listen, if you have not been in a life group yet at the gathering, you are missing out. This is really where the rubber meets the road. When we came here to start this church, our dream was that it would be a group of people really going through life together who gathered together on a Sunday. That's why we named it the Gathering Church. And so you've got to get involved in a life group. You've got to get those relationships in your life. Summer is a, is a great and easy time to do that because it's a shorter semester and most of our groups are just social activity driven, like having dinner at somebody's house or going to uh, play disc golf or, or one of the different things that we've got this summer. And so I really want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late. After service today, you can go right through those doors and talk to our volunteer at the Connect Center and they will get you plugged in, in a life group, ready to have fun this week. We're excited about that. Well, today we are uh, continuing our Something's Brewing series. Something's Brewing. This is, a, this is a, a series that we do something similar to this each summer here at the Gathering Church. This is a series where we're going to look at the beer making process and see what kind of biblical truths we can pull out of it. Now, we are in Asheville. Asheville is Beer City. In case you didn't know, we are officially designated Beer City, USA. There is 28 breweries in city limits. That's a lot of breweries for a city of 90,000 people. And so since it's so deeply a part of our culture as a church, we want to kind of take a step back and look at it each summer and see what we can learn from this process. Now, drinking and Christianity have always been interesting bedfellows. I grew up Southern Baptist and never thought I would ever say the word beer on stage. There's members of my family who are mortified that I would say the word beer on stage. But here's what we believe at the gathering. At the gathering church, we, we don't believe ever in drinking in excess. We believe that when you drink in excess, when you binge drink, when you drink as a coping mechanism, uh, and anything that leads to drunkenness, that it leads to mistakes being made. And so we don't condone drunkenness or drinking in excess at all at the gathering church. However, um, we do believe that it's okay to take play, take participate in moderation. Um, for some people, that we acknowledge that some people should always abstain from alcohol due to addictions, habits, and hang-ups. Uh, but that for some of us, it's okay to take 
part in moderation. And so we want to be a part of our culture here in our city and really look at this process a little bit over the next few weeks. If you have questions about that or concerns, you can always talk to us after service about that or send me an email. Um, And so I want to talk about this beer making process. Last week we talked about the ingredients, how beer is all made out of these four basic ingredients. It's water, so it hydrates you, barley, hops, and yeast. And so these four basic ingredients are at the base of every beer. Now listen, what, what, what the brewer can do is similar to the artist's talent. A brewer is able to look at these four basic ingredients and identify the potential within them. The great gift of the artist is the ability to look at a blank canvas or a block of stone and see the beauty that could come out of those things. The brewer does the same thing with these ingredients. To someone like me, when I think about combining these ingredients, the best thing that I could come up with would be some kind of a weird tasting tea that you probably wouldn't want to drink. In fact, even if I was a chemist and understood how to make these things into beer, I probably would assume that if you have only these four ingredients, it would always be the same four outcomes. But the brewer knows differently. They know how important each step in the process is, how when you do something a little bit different on the front end, it could lead to a different product on the back end. They know the importance of the strain of hops, the type of yeast. They know all of this and how it will affect what happens with the end results. What we believe here is that potential is the single greatest unused commodity in the world. Because here's the thing, we're all born with this unbelievable, unmeasurable potential. You were created and crafted by the master artist. He put inside of you a purpose and an assignment so wonderful that you can't even wrap your mind around it where you are right now. And inside of you is that purpose and the potential to get to it depends on the process that you take to get there. We believe the process determines the outcome. And so as we study this beer-making process and how every step along the way determines what happens at the end, we want to take a look at our lives and figure out exactly what we need to do along this process in order to discover our purpose and live the life we were created to live. Today we're going to be looking at the milling process. Today's message for Something's Brewing is titled, Something is Going to Hurt. Something's going to hurt. Let's get started. So once the barley's been malted or roasted, it has to be milled. This means it's got to be crushed. But it's not so simple as that. This crucially important step can make or break a beer before it's ever begun. See, the key is to crush the grains enough so that it exposes the starchy center in the grain and leaves the husk behind to become a filter for the brew. If you crush it too much and destroy the husk, then there will be no filter bed for the brew and the brew will become gummy and unusable. If it's too coarse, then not enough of the starch will be uh, converted to fermentable sugars. So before we can make the beer, the base ingredient, the barley, has to be properly crushed. Crushed intentionally at just the right levels. We make it possible to extract potential from the grain 
by first crushing the grain. Not too much that there's nothing left, but just enough that the grain is now open and receptive to what comes next. So let me ask you this morning, have you been through the milling process? Do you know what it feels like to be crushed? Do you know what it feels like to be smashed, to be milled in order to bring about what can happen next? In this series, we've been studying Joseph, and Joseph went through a milling process. Joseph is found in Genesis. A little bit of background on Joseph. If you were here last week, I really botched this part. There was a lot of people I was trying to keep straight in my mind. I got it this time, okay? (laughs) Joseph was the second youngest of 12 sons. He came from your average family. Four moms, 12 sons, and an unnamed amount of sisters. Just your normal big family. Okay, so this is 4,000 years ago. So the context and the culture is a little bit different. But we know that, J- that Joseph came uh, from Jacob, his father's favorite wife. And so Joseph was his favorite son. And he made it obvious that he was his favorite son. He would brag about how he was his favorite son. He would even make special clothes for Joseph to signify that he was the favorite son. And his brothers hated him for it. Now, many of us maybe grew up in a household where you felt like maybe one of your siblings was the favorite. Do you know this feeling? And you feel like one of your siblings is the favorite, and you've got a little bit of resentment towards that sibling. You know, you always had to mow the yard, and their chore was something like wiping the counters, which everybody knows is the easiest chore. You know, it's just doing this. There's no sweat involved. And maybe you had a little bit of resentment, but what Joseph's brothers had was a deep level of hatred. They hated him. And, the, and the, to make matters worse, we talked last week about how Joseph had these dreams. Just like all of us, he was all these un, unprocessed, un, uncombined ingredients inside of him. All this potential that has, had not been even remotely developed yet, but he had in his heart an assignment given to him from God. He had a dream that God placed there that he spoke into him. And Joseph even had the wisdom to say, this isn't a regular dream. This dream is from God. But Joseph didn't make things easier on himself because his dream was that he would be a figure of some kind and that 11 other figures or 13 other figures would be bowing down before him. Joseph believed this meant he would have prominence and leadership over the rest of his family one day. And he decided to communicate this to his brothers. Hey guys, not only did my dad make me a better jacket than he made the rest of you, also I had a dream and you're all going to bow down before me one day. And this made him hate Joseph even more. When we pick up the story today, it's all kind of bubbling up to the surface and it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a lot more difficult for Joseph before it ever gets easier. And in order for his potential to develop, he's going to have to go through God's school of character through pain. You see, here's the thing. Oftentimes, when we feel that we have potential, when we have a dream in our hearts that we know God has put there, we get anxious to get to it before we're ready for it. And Joseph was anxious to be living in the place that God told him he would be living, in the dream that God told him he would be living in, but he was not ready yet. God had some work to do on Joseph. Let's look at Genesis chapter 37. 
Verse 17, second half of verse 17 is where we'll pick it up. It says, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. So they have a large pasture area. They're out in just a bunch of undeveloped country. And so this is a good ways away from his house and his father and his mother. And he's out here looking for his brothers who are tending to the flocks in the fields. And it said, He went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern. And the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Joseph, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Judah's being very reasonable and kind here. This is my brother. I don't want to kill him. Let's sell him into slavery, guys. Come on, have a heart. It's much better. <laughs> so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. After this, they took the coat they'd taken from Joseph, his coat of many colors, his beautiful jacket his dad made. They tore it up. They put some goat's blood on it. They took it back to his parents and told him he'd been killed. His father was bereaved, absolutely traumatized, destroyed. And Joseph's life would never be the same again. So let's talk about this for a minute. I know that when you're reading a story sometimes that's thousands of years old, 4,000 years old in this case, it can be hard to relate it to your life. Odds are your family, and as, as much sibling rivalry as you may have had, never beat you up and threw you into a well and then sold you into slavery. That's probably not been an experience you've had. However, maybe you know what it feels like to expect your life to go in one direction and one day have it violently turned in a different direction. Maybe you know what it feels like to feel like you're completely out of control of what happens next. Maybe you know what it feels like to be devastated while you watch your future crushed before your eyes. That's what Joseph was going through. That's how he felt. The emotion, the turmoil, the, 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 the pain deep inside, that literal physical pain you get at the center of your body when you feel like nothing good could come of this. Joseph was going through the milling process. I imagine it was pretty hard for Joseph and pretty hard for him to process because here he was certain that God had created him, had given him this dream that he was going to be a leader, that he was going to have significance, but instead he was stripped of everything he had and sold into slavery. And you know, God doesn't always make sense. Our stories are often littered with pain without any clear understanding of the why at the time. 
But I believe pain is a part of the process. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want us to understand and embrace the fact that pain can be a part of the process. I think if we want to see our potential realized, if we really want to live in our purpose, to make a difference with the dreams that God's given us, we have to at some point submit to a milling process in order to get there. I think there's two different categories of ways that we're milled. First is through seasons of hardship. Seasons of hardship. I think that life moves in seasons. I know that life moves in seasons. Kind of like the weather does. Here in Asheville, we have seasons that are always changing, always on the edge of another season. I, I lived in California for a time. That's not true there. There's one season, California season. One weather, 75. It's just, it sounds fantastic. It gets very old. And so life moves in seasons, right? And, and we're always kind of on the edge of one season preparing for the next. Sometimes the season that we're in is unbearably hard. Maybe it's a season of illness for you or for a family member, and it seems hopeless and difficult. It doesn't feel like there's a brighter end to this. Maybe it's a season of loss. A close relationship that you thought would always be there just isn't anymore, and you're not sure what to hold on to. Or maybe it's a season of financial hardship. Something came up that you weren't expecting, and now there's no more money. The, the bills keep coming each month, but there's no money to pay them. Maybe it's a season of paying for your mistakes. You got caught in that thing that you kept in the darkness. And that thing that you kept in the darkness has just been dragged into the light. And now you're wrapped up in the consequences, and it doesn't feel like it's ever going to get any better. And these seasons of hardship that we go through dominate our perspective. They're the only thing we can see or imagine. They keep us awake at night. They keep us from getting anything done during the day. Maybe it's been months out of your routine going through this. And I want you to know, I don't believe God always causes these seasons, but I do believe he can always have a purpose in it. I do believe that he can always teach us something through it. And through these seasons that don't make sense, that don't seem fair, that don't seem like they're the life you should be living or the life that you deserve, through these seasons, God is ready to start stripping away the things that are keeping us from our potential so that it can become a filter for what he's going to do next. Second thing that I think happens is personal disappointment. Personal disappointment leads us into a milling season. This is when you're certain your life should be in one place and it's somewhere else entirely. You thought you should be going in one direction, but now you're heading in the opposite direction. Maybe for you, your life just isn't where you thought it should be. Nothing's working out. You just can't get there. No matter how hard you try, you can't get to that goal you set for yourself so long ago. Maybe it just doesn't feel like you'll ever meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Or maybe it feels like your spouse will never be Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And you're worried. And you're wondering what, why things aren't working out the way that you worked them out. Maybe you're a planner. And you had a five-year plan, and you're only three months into it, and everything's already gone sideways. And you're not sure what to do next. How do you readjust? How do you keep going? Maybe a, a relationship ended that you thought was going to last forever, and now you just don't know what to do next. I know that's how Joseph felt the moment those Midianites began to walk him away from his brothers. 
He was supposed to be a leader. He, he came from a wealthy family. And he was supposed to be the most important one in that family. He felt in his heart that God was creating him and, and, and preparing him for greatness, for leadership, for prominence. But now here he is in the desert with his hands bound, being led away to a foreign country, a place he'd never been before. And then Joseph finds himself purchased by a man he's never met before in a kingdom next to his, not, not his own country, in a place where they speak a language that he never spoke before. And he's probably wondering, what am I supposed to do now? This isn't, this isn't the future I imagine for myself. It's hard to have your life redirected, either through hardship or through personal disappointment. It is hard to have your life go a different direction than you wanted it to. When I was 19 years old, I was in the Coast Guard and was going through training to be a gunner's mate. That was my job in the Coast Guard. I, I, it was all about guns. That was what I did. I'm very sorry. And so I was in training. It was a 10-week training school uh, to be a gunner's mate. And on the other side of that training school, uh, I would be given orders to go to, my next, to go to my first tour of duty and a promotion. Now, it was week 10. And I had been through this whole school. I had already, I had gotten to the top of my class, so I got first pick of where I was going next, and I had my life all mapped out. I had picked a job in Honolulu, Hawaii. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about Hawaii. Lost was on television back then, and I was going to find the island. I was going to do it. And, I, and not only that, I picked a huge ship in Honolulu, Hawaii, the biggest the Coast Guard had. Let me tell you a little something about ships. The bigger the ship, the more comfortable the ride. That's important, okay? And not only that, the specific ship that I chose didn't have any engines in it. It was going to be up on dry dock for over a year getting new engines, which meant I was just going to be surfing and fishing in Honolulu, Hawaii. Life was about to be very good. And on the other side of that, since it was a big ship, I would get first pick on where I would go after that. And I already had that mapped out too. I was going to Charleston, South Carolina, the place of my birth. And I was just going to be a little, you know, one of them little orange boats telling people not to catch fish that were too small for the rest of my days. It was a great life. I had planned. There was a problem. See, I had a bit of a mouth on me, and I was arrogant, and I didn't like to follow orders. And that is a problem when you find yourself in the fifth branch of the United States military. Okay, uh, so there was this chief that I that I had to serve under that was uh, in charge of our training school, and this chief was like a hard charging military man. He had a flat top that you could land a C one thirty on. Okay, he had a mustache that was always perfectly trimmed and in regulations, and I was his worst nightmare. I did everything I could to make life hard for him all the time. I was always just cracking jokes and, and cutting up the military bearing and doing everything that I could to ruin this guy's day on purpose. But I never officially broke the rules, which was what he needed me to do in order to throw me out of training, something he tried to do more than once. Now, it's Monday of week 10. It was my birthday, as a matter of fact. And I'm standing there at the, at the firing range getting some last-minute training, and I feel this aggressive tap on my shoulder. So I go back. It's the chief, and I go back into his office. He puts me at position of attention and proceeds to bless me out. You know, He started yelling at me with every word he could think of. And it was during that yelling that I discovered that that night, that morning, they discovered a box of Triscuit crackers in my barracks room. 
Now, it's a small rule, but it was very much against the rules to have food in your barracks when you were in training. I had broken a rule. And so I'm standing in this room with all the instructors present. And the chief is just yelling at me with all his veins popping. And at one point he says to me, he said, Red wine, what was going through your head when you were eating Trisket crackers in your barracks room last night? And uh, you're supposed to keep looking forward when you're attention. But I broke and I looked him in the eyes and I said, Chief, I was thinking, mmm, these are some delicious Trisket crackers. Did you happen to find the cheese whiz, sir? <laughs> he didn't like that. <laughs> it caused veins to rupture in his forehead. And so <laughs> it was one of those like only time, you know, you always walk away from like a conversation thinking, man, I should have said this. I should have said, I didn't think that that day. I thought, man, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I should not. I should not have said that, but it was funny. And uh, <laughs> I walked right out of that room. He marched me into the captain's office. Right then and there, I went to a, a, a military judicial proceeding. And they laid out the green carpet, which is the punishment carpet. It's like the opposite of the red carpet. It's the green carpet. And I had to stand on the green carpet. And the captain put his sword on the table. That's one of the things they do at a captain's mast when you're being punished. I assume that's because if things go really bad, that sword is going in you. I don't know. But either way, I got kicked out of training. I got sent back to week one of training. They canceled my orders to Hawaii. Gone. Future gone because I decided to open my mouth at the wrong time. But not even that because of a pattern of behavior that I had had the entire time I was in the Coast Guard up to that point, which was not good, which was arrogant, which was unkind, which was not a heart of a servant. And, in, and because of it, I was kicked out of training. I had to spend six weeks getting up at 4 a.m. with an orange vest on, picking up trash on base. And then I had to start training from the first day, go all the way through it again. And then my orders in the second class were to a very small boat, means rough ride, in Florida, which is definitely not Hawaii. That's like a poor man's Hawaii, okay? And then, <laughs> sorry guys, I know, I know, I like Florida too, but still. And I had to go to Florida and I never got that billet in Charleston because I didn't have top priority anymore. And my entire life got kicked off the rails and went in a direction I never imagined for myself. And so I know what it feels like to have your life kick off the rails and start going the wrong way. It's uncomfortable. You start questioning everything. You're mad at the world. You're mad at yourself if it was your fault. You're mad at God for not doing something about it. You always are told if you grew up in church like I did that God's got a plan for you. And I just remember thinking, God, that your plan stinks. I don't want it. I don't want to do this. This isn't the life I imagined. These aren't the dreams that I had. And I remembered the feeling like it wasn't going to be a better day. Waking up every morning and picking up trash when I was supposed to be waking up in Honolulu, Hawaii. I remember feeling absolutely devastated to my core by this season. See, it takes on all kinds of different forms, but we all go through seasons of milling. Usually not just once, but there'll be one season in there that really sticks out more than the rest. And I've been there, and I know the feelings, not knowing why this would happen or when it would stop. The pain you feel from the stress and the headaches. I've been there. And it feels in those seasons like you're being broken. I remember 
just wondering, God, why is your desire just to break me? Can't you change me without breaking me? But as I reflect on that season, and I think about this process and look at the life of Joseph, more and more I'm beginning to realize that in those seasons we're not being broken, we're being sculpted. Just like the maker looks at the block of stone and chips away parts and pieces to reveal the vision he had within, God has to chip away the parts of us that are between us and the dreams God has for our lives. You're not being broken in this season, you're being sculpted into who you were meant to be. Isaiah 48.10 talks about, this is one of the examples the Bible uses often talks about our suffering and our afflictions and these hard moments and these hard seasons that we go through as a refining moment. You know, to, to get a pure gold or a pure silver, you put it through fire so you can melt and separate all the impure metals from it. And that's the illustration that God uses for us when we're in the milling process, when we're being crushed. Isaiah says, see, I have refined you, though not as silver, because I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And maybe right now you're in the furnace of affliction. And all you can see is the furnace. And all you can feel is the heat. And all that you can see ahead of you are the flames. But at the other end of that, you will be better, more pure. All the things that are standing between you and your potential are being stripped away in this season, but it won't work right if you don't lean into it. God doesn't set out to create pain for us, but he uses it to refine us. You know, growth through pain is often a part of nature. When we work out our muscles and they're growing and expanding in the following days of rest, it's associated with soreness and pain. Babies enter into this world through an extraordinary amount of pain. When we get our first teeth, they come through a season of pain because often pain is a part of the process and the process determines the outcome. How we handle that pain and what we learn through it is going to determine whether or not we reach our potential. You see, Joseph really was destined for great things. But he had some things in the way that had to be dealt with first. Best I can figure by looking at his story of Joseph as a young man was that he had some pride standing between him and the leadership that God saw in him. And God was going to use this pain to teach Joseph humility and staying power and what it meant to have faith. For me, it was arrogance. This experience of military discipline was only my first <laughs> And, that it, and it, it was a predecessor for a far more serious experience that would teach me that my arrogance was something that needed to be stripped away. I had to learn how to be humble and wise, how to use my ability of influence for good, not for evil. And the path that I was set on through that hardship, that season that I didn't want, that mistake that I had made, that, that, that horrible future that I had created, led me to a relationship with Jesus. It was the events and the places and the people that followed in Florida on that small ship that led to me receiving Jesus in the middle of that ship in the middle of the Caribbean Sea one day. 
I just want you to know that even if the path you're on doesn't look like the path that you believe is right for you, that God can take you where you're supposed to go through it. But you've got to lean into the process. You've got to allow yourself to be milled. You've got to be crushed and open so it can be a filter for what God's going to do next. So let me give you a few things that we can do if we're going through the milling to keep in mind as we go through it. First is this. I would encourage you to take inventory. To stop for a moment and take inventory. What is getting in the way of your potential? And how can your season of crushing or of milling and uh, and pain help to break that thing away? Maybe you feel like you've got the potential to start a business or to make your dreams profitable. But right now you're broke, really broke. So broke, it hurts broke. And you need money to reach that potential, but you just don't have any. Maybe in this season, God is teaching you that if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. When you lead with more, you'll be faithful with more. Maybe you struggle with pride or dishonesty, or you have things that you do in secret that are damaging your character from the inside out. Maybe one of those things came to light. And it's, it's resulted in a very difficult season for you. But it's teaching you the value of integrity, of doing in secret the same things you would do in the light. And if you're not in a season of pain right now, I would still encourage you to take inventory. God has potential for you. For each and every one of us, he's got a purpose. And as we think about discovering our purpose and getting to the place that God has created us to be, there still may be something in the way. There may be something between you and the potential you have. You may need to stop, take inventory, and decide if there's anything that you need to be milling right now. There's a, a psalm, a really wonderful psalm that will, it will lift you up when you need it. Psalm 84 is one of those kind of go-to psalms. It's a great one to step back and read. And This wasn't in my notes, but I was reading this this morning. I really wanted to share something with you about taking inventory and, and, and knowing what you can take out of the season that you're in, no matter how difficult it is. In Psalm 84, verses 5 and 6, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. He's saying the strength is in God. Blessed are the people whose strength is in God, because when they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it into a place of strength. This doesn't make any sense if you don't know about the valley of Baca. I didn't. I had to look it up. I was like, this doesn't make any sense, David. Why did you write it? Baca is a Hebrew word which means weeping. And the valley of Baca was a literal place where there was nothing but dry desert, no trees or plants for shade. It was a horrible, hard valley that they had to walk through between tall mountains. It was the only path on the way to Jerusalem from where many of the people who worshiped God lived. And when they would make a pilgrimage to go worship at the temple, they would have to come through this valley of weeping. And it was the most trying portion of their journey. And they could have chosen in the valley of Baca, they could have said, I'm just going to weep in it. It's a valley of weeping. I'm just going to let it break me. I'm just going to be sad, I'm going to be bummed out, and I'm just going to do everything I can to get to the other side of it as quickly as possible. But David said the people who placed their strength in God, they didn't do that. Instead, they stopped in that valley, and they dug some wells. They dug deep, and they pulled some water out of the place where there was nothing. 
out of the most difficult part of their journey, they pulled something out of it that would give them strength and life to go through the next season. I want to encourage you, if you're in this season of milling, if you're being crushed right now, if you're in the hard season, if you are walking through the valley of weeping, don't just put your head down and try to get through it. Stop where you're at right now, dig deep, and make some wells. Pull something out of it that will carry you through the next season. It's time to dig a little bit deeper to get something out of this season. It's time to take inventory. Let our prayer be the prayer of David in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. He said, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let that be our prayer. God, search me. Find what needs to be stripped away and strip it away so that I can walk forward on your path. Second thing that we can do this morning if we're in the milling process is gain perspective. Gain perspective. What's truly interesting about the milling process of the grain is that you've got to do it just right to open the husk but not destroy it. Because that husk, the very thing that you're crushing, becomes a filter for the next phase of the brewing process. It defines the consistency of the beer. If you crush it too much, the filter bed is gone and the powder becomes a sponge, soaking up the brew and making it gummy and unusable. You see, the very thing that you are crushing will become a filter for what you can become. It will lead you to being who you were meant to be. Don't let these seasons crush you too much. Keep your eyes focused on where you're going, on the dream that God gave you. Believe that if God gave you that dream, that he will call you to that dream. He will give you every step to make it to that dream. If he calls you to it, he will see you through it. And you've got to believe that this morning. I want to share two things to hold on to while you're in that crushing to make sure that the outcome is a filter and not a sponge. First is this. Remember that it's a season. It's a season. It will end. I know you don't feel like it right now. I know it feels like this is forever. Like this is it. This is life now. But listen to me. This is a season. Solomon, the great wise king, wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 3, he talks about how in life there is a season for everything and all seasons move. This season will move. It's going to get better. There's another side to it. But while you're there, make some wells. Learn something. Uh, take inventory of your life. Ask what, what could change in me in this season. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be going through this right now. But how can I be changed for the better as a result of it. Second, know that these seasons will change you and lean into it. Nothing changes us like our seasons of hardship. Nothing changes us like pain does. And when we're in a, a time of our lives where everything is changing and it feels out of control and everything's going ways we never thought it would and everything around us is different, we just cling on to who we are with everything that we can. We don't want to change. Change is scary. Change is new, and new is unknown, and unknown is terrifying. And so we just cling on to who we are. We cling on to every part. We don't want to change, but I want you to know you have to change if you don't want to go through this season again. 
You have to change if you want to realize the purpose that God's given you. If you want to walk into that potential, parts of you will die. And new parts will be born. And you've got to let it happen. You've got to lean into it. When you feel like you are changing, invite somebody into the process. I'm changing right now. This part of me doesn't feel like it'll ever be the same again. What do I do? What do I do? Lean in to the change. Gain some perspective on this season. Know that it will end. And whether or not this season is about you, it will change you. Let it. But remember that change is a necessary step to reaching your potential. Last thing, and then we're done. This is hard because I've been in this process. I gave you my light version of the time I was in this process. I've been through it in worse ways. And I know how hard it is. And I know if you're there, the pain you must be feeling right now. And I know the anger and the bitterness and the feeling of abandonment. Can you imagine how abandoned and lonely Joseph must have felt walking through that desert? Must have felt the moment somebody attached a monetary value to his life. But I want to encourage you to worship in the crushing. Worship in the crushing. You've never felt less like worshiping in your whole life. And that's when you need to lean into it. When you need to do it the most. When your soul needs it the most. You were created to worship. That's why you're here. If you came hoping for the meaning of life this morning, you're in luck. You were made to worship. To worship your creator. To worship your father. And when you worship him, no matter what season you're in, no matter the condition of your heart, when you worship him, something inside of you finds peace. When you worship, you're connected to your creation. When you worship, you will find that taste of satisfaction that you've been longing for. John wrote a book called Revelation. It's one of my favorite because it's a picture of, it's, it's the end of all things and the beginning of all things. It's, it's what's coming. It's what's ahead. And it's good news. And in chapter 5, he has this vision of everything in creation revealing its creation. It says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And I like to picture this moment when I'm having a bad day. I like to sit and just, I put on some praise music. I create the environment. And I just try to picture everything in creation doing what it was made to do. And when you worship in your suffering, when you worship in your crushing, you are bringing us one step closer to that day. Worship in the crushing is beautiful. It's raw. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not pretty but it's honest. And God loves honest. God loves to see your heart, to hear your heart when you are hurting, when you are in desperate need of him. And I know it's hard to worship in these seasons because it's hard to believe that God does have your best in mind. It's hard to believe that he does care for you, that he will, that he will be there for you, that he is there for you right now. But you got to just cling on to the words uh, Paul gave us in Romans 8.28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who've been called according to His purpose. Even if you don't feel it, there is a calling on your life. 
And it's for His purpose. And it's going to glorify Him and serve others. And that's what you were made to do. And you'll get there. But you've got to trust that even if it doesn't feel like you will, that He can use this season for good to move you closer to Him. You've got to trust that He's a good Father. That He cares for you. That He loves you. That He's waiting just to wrap His arms around you in this season. And that even if He didn't put you in this season, He will shape you through it to the place that you need to be. David always worships in his suffering. That's why I love the Psalms. When you're feeling down, the Psalms can help you worship. Psalms 22 is one of my favorite ways to worship when I am feeling crushed. Let's look at it together as we close this morning. Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. I can't sleep, God. But yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one that Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trust you, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. And in you, they trusted and were not put to shame. In verse 22, he says, I will declare your name to my people. And in the assembly... I will praise you. That's what worship looks like. It's honest. It's real. God can take your pain. God can take your doubts. He can take them, but worship Him in the crushing. And you will get to the other side. Worship Him even when it feels like the world is caving. Worship God and believe there's something on the other side of this. Worship God because His Word says in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And if the steps of a great man, of Jesus, led him to the cross, you can bet your steps will lead you to suffering. But you've got to trust that God's got a plan in it, that he can shape you through it. And on the other side of it, you're going to be that much closer to the purpose you were created with. I know it feels hard to worship God in the crushing because it just feels like you're being pushed into this crushing, into this suffering. But I need you to know you are not being pushed into the crushing. You are being pulled to your destiny. Our God is not a God that pushes you down. He is the God that reaches in and lifts us up in the moments when we need it most. And you've got to believe it. And you've got to lean into it. And the crushing, the hard seasons, the suffering seasons can be the growing seasons can be the stripping seasons, can be the seasons that take away the parts of me that I hate and replace them with parts that God will love. And that's who I want to be. And that's who I am. And it's a result of a crushing. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We love you, God. We worship you. We worship you no matter where we find ourselves today, God. If we feel lonely and broken And lost today, God, we lift up our hands in worship to you. You are good. You care for us. You have dreams for us. You created us. It says in your word that we were created. We were created for the good works you prepared in advance for us to do. You will lead us to that place if we will let you. God, we let you. Change us, God change us. Take away what we don't need anymore. Take away the things that are getting in the way, Lord. Break us from our 
our, our character flaws, from the things that are standing between us, God. Help us to find freedom from the sins that would separate us from you, God. Lord, create in us stamina and strength. Help us to find inside of ourselves things we didn't know that were there, but God, you put there in the very beginning to walk through this season to the other side. And God, on the other side of it, we are in anticipation of the way you will use us of the way you will, you will bless us, God, of the peace and the joy that you have waiting for us. Comfort us in this season, Lord. We worship you. We love you, God. We trust our purpose to you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.